Today's consumer won't settle for a single form of compensation. They, they, they are looking for ways to be recognized, to be sanctioned, as you said, to, to have agency uh, with brands. But when you think about the power that you can unleash by giving your, your, consumer, your, your best customers, your customers license to advocate and build and act on your behalf, the, the ramifications of that could be game-changing. This is The Safari. The Safari is a tour around the consumer, brand, and retailing industry. And we have the great privilege here at my company, Traub, to really be exposed to many of the great minds of the industry who are forming and shaping the future of many different parts of the consumer brand and retail world. And I felt it was quite interesting for us to be able to not only learn from all of those people as we do every day, but uh, memorialize it into a podcast which could then be shared with many of our friends and clients and, and you, obviously, the listener. Welcome back to The Safari. This is Morty Singer speaking in April 2021, and this is the loyalty episode. We're going to talk about customer loyalty with Mike Ribeiro, the CEO of Reach, which is a marketplace for loyalty programs. And Mike is you know, one of the great experts in the United States, if not around the world, for uh, studying the consumer relationships uh, and persuasion and engagement uh, across all different areas of the, the industry. And he really was responsible at Hilton Honors, the loyalty program, which he helped built as the leader of that into what is widely recognized as the preeminent hotel loyalty program in the world. And he joined Hilton from Continental Airlines, where he co-led the team responsible for consolidating the airline's individual loyalty programs into OnePass, uh, which is considered a breakthrough program uh, when it was launched in 1987 and is a, still an integral part of the United Mileage Plus program today. So we're going to talk about his uh, approach. We're going to talk about the history of loyalty. We're going to talk about uh, how the consumer mindset around loyalty has changed over the years. Uh, we'll talk about um, how marketers are faced with many different issues today, um, including the cookies uh, uh, or the absence of cookies maybe going forward uh, and many other technical issues about loyalty and marketing. And then we'll talk about reach and how the marketplace and collaboration and customer entanglement uh, as one of my friends calls it, um, is important to help brands collaborate across different platforms and different uh, mechanisms across the industry. So it's going to be really interesting. He is literally um, a real, real expert in this space. So please stick around. Mike Ribeiro, what a pleasure to have you on the Safari. Thanks for joining me today. How, how's life? How's life in California? Um, life is good. Life is dry, but life is good. Oh, that's good. Good to hear. So uh, here we are at the tail end of what's been a very difficult period in the world. It's April 2021, and uh, 
we are uh, emerging. Lots of really good news, and the consumers back. And the, today's newspaper said that the American economy was just one percent away from its uh, peak prior to, prior to to COVID nineteen. Um, and this is the loyalty uh, issue or the loyalty uh, recording. And we're going to be speaking about all things loyalty. And as you are one of the kings of the space, um, please would you just do the listener the favor of recounting a little bit about your background and how you really have helped forge uh, this space and, um, and what you're doing with that experience now at Reach. Sounds good. Well, Maury, thanks for having me. I, I started my career at Procter & Gamble in brand management. And uh, because my wife wanted to move home back to Florida after uh, spending a little over seven years there, I got into the airline business. And so you talk about going from a very structured environment to a very unstructured environment where things change kind of daily, uh, I found myself in a very unique situation, uh, which was exacerbated when the company was sold two months later. Uh, and I was charged with leading uh, one of the teams that had to put two loyalty programs together, Eastern Airlines and Continental Airlines. And that resulted in a, in a breakthrough program at the time and one of the first loyalty programs in the Continental One Pass program, which had a lot of first. It was the first loyalty program to have two tiers of rewards um, that matched the fare structure. It was the first loyalty program to introduce a, uh, an affinity or branded credit card as part of the value proposition. And, and because of the success of that program, I was hired probably at way too young and way too inexperienced to become the chief marketing officer of Hilton Worldwide. And there, uh, my team and I built the Hilton Honors Program from literally the ground up. And what was unique about hospitality, um, which is very different from virtually any other business, is the fact that hotels companies don't own all their hotels unlike the airlines and retailers who tend to own all their stores. Franchising is a very different animal and, and hotels are highly franchised at times and even the hotels they manage that they don't necessarily own. So we had to uh, create an economic structure that made it equitable for the hotels that would benefit most from the incentive and those that would bear the brunt of the redemption. Um, got out of the hospitality industry after another seven and a half years, spent time in video gaming and in media and entertainment um, and technology. But, uh, but about five years ago, I started thinking about um, loyalty again and, and the fact that after all those years, nothing about loyalty had really changed. When you think about the fact that, that loyalty got its roots in, in the U.S., modern day loyalty in the mid 80s. Um, and here we are, you know, um, almost, almost 30, over 35 years later and loyalty programs have, have really failed to evolve. And, and if I was asking the question today, I would ask a loyalty, a brand, a CMO, why would you build a strategy focused around only encouraging and rewarding purchases when there's so much more a consumer can do today that can add value to your brand? And that's what led to the creation of Reach. Reach is, a, is not a loyalty program. It is a engagement marketplace where um, consumers and brands can work cooperatively via a partnership driven by reciprocal value, where consumers become an extension of the brand and helping build the brand. Um, and brands can uh, enjoy the benefit of having consumers um, work on behalf of the brand, not simply advocating, but actually taking um, action 
um, and engaging in activities proven to add value to that brand. And I think that's frankly the, the blueprint for, for loyalty and true customer commitment as we look to the future. So that, that's really helpful. And so, so coming back a little bit to, to, to talk about the history and, 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 where, and where we are today, the, the history is, I think, uh, something along the lines of there are a few hundred billion dollars worth of, of let's say, uh, credit or dollars tied up in hundreds of different um, loyalty programs in this in this country. Could you g- give us the sort of the the lay of the land? How many programs are there in the in the United States, and and how much value is locked up in those programs? Approximately, if you have any any data. Well, it's it's really interesting that the estimates are anywhere in the U.S. alone. By the way, anywhere from a hundred to two hundred billion dollars um, in unredeemed loyalty currency today. For public companies, that shows up on their balance sheet. So you look at, a, at an airline and you're going to see several billion dollars of liabilities, both short and long-term, um, that, that are reflected, that are allocated against future redemption. And, um, and the, the problem is the membership base has outgrown the program's ability to service it. Um, and that's creating a lot of frustration on the part of the member or the consumer, which is why loyalty program uh, sat- member satisfaction overall is well under 50% across any, any industry you can imagine. And that's a problem. Yeah, but that, that certainly is a problem. And, and so what are historically some of the, the best kinds of loyalty program? What, what is, in, you know, when you were building um, Hilton Honors and others, and, and maybe there are certain other examples you can point to of how it's done well historically, remembering that it's a bit broken today, but what are the bones of a good loyalty program? Well, that's actually changed, Morty, but back back when, when it started, because things were much simpler back then, you got to remember that the origins of, of loyalty in the US go back to green stamps, uh, believe it or not. American Airlines, which launched the, the first Modern day loyalty program with advantage was the first um, uh, with a, with an opportunity um, and, and who saw the opportunity to go beyond that and actually use loyalty to establish uh, a personal relationship with their best customers it was about getting more information about about that customer uh, engaging in a dialogue and and back then Morty the the two key elements of a successful loyalty program was a combination of reward and recognition, um, or put another way, appealing to the rational side of the traveler and the emotional side of the traveler. Mm-hmm. One was very much um, tangible reward-based, miles for free flights, but the other one had to do with special treatment um, and some of the other benefits that that made the that customer feel special and recognize them for their contribution to the, to the, to the company. And unfortunately, we've lost some of that today Things are much more complex. I, I used to say that that the elements of a great loyalty program were recognition, reward, and and using those two things to create a, a tangible opportunity cost for non-exclusive use of a brand. Um, today, because of the complex, how diverse the consumer marketplace is, that's there are more criteria required today for a, a great program and a great strategy. 
So, so today, to, you know, 2021, uh, post-pandemic, uh, shifting consumer values and, and engagement, um, how do you see from a consumer perspective, if put yourself in, in her shoes um, or his shoes, but we say her around here, uh, as everyone should, I think, um, how do we um, deem that consumer, maybe a younger consumer and their uh, psychology uh, in a digital world um, of, of, of loyalty? Well, you know, I think marketers today face some incredible challenges that the marketers uh, in, in the late 80s, 90s never had to face. Um, you're looking at, at a diversity of generational segment today who have such distinctly unique needs um, that, that it requires a, a level of segmentation that, that wasn't really required before. When you look at the difference between baby boomers um, and millennials, or now the, the emerging Gen Z marketplace, or even the Gen Xers uh, in between, the, the, I kind of call them the middle sibling uh, of, of, the, of the generations, you have to um, address the needs of all while, while addressing the needs of each. And that's almost impossible. So that's require, that requires a, a level of segmentation, um, especially as it relates to millennials, which are very elusive. And don't think about loyalty in, in the traditional way that we might, for example. So shifting from the consumer to the marketer, let's say you're talking to me, I'm the CMO of Pick a Brand, uh, and there's a lot of things that that uh, marketer is, is really needing to wrestle with today. Uh, there's privacy dynamics. There's a cookie-less world ahead of us. There's the Apple uh, iOS release now that's uh, having Facebook um, throw its arms up in the air. Um, are marketers recognizing and dealing with head-on uh, everything we're reading in the newspaper at this recording uh, in the second quarter of 2021? I would say not. I don't think it's hit them as flushly as as it will in the very near future. You're you're in a situation today, Morty, where where you have a confluence of of change uh, of what you might call entropy that that is creating challenges that are that could be unprecedented. You've got the combination of the overnight change in behavior that was foisted upon all of us because of COVID and the pandemic and the lockdown life that ensued, which literally overnight changed the way consumers um, went about their daily lives. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and, and that included the way they shop, um, the way they purchase. And that's not going, as we evolve or emerge from the lockdown, um, that's not going to change immediately. Um, yeah. Some of those changes are here to stay. And so uh, there's a, a, a real uncertainty about what our new normal looks like. And if and how it will continue to evolve, um, coupled with that, the fact that we have just been on an amazing 12-year ride of robust economic growth that came to a grinding halt with, with COVID, um, which we're now starting to recover from. Uh, but to think that we're going to enjoy the same level of growth right away, um, uh, it, I think, is, is somewhat naive. I, I think things will get certainly get better. But it's still for brands. It's not about a, a high economic tide picking everybody up. Brands that are going to grow during this time frame are going to have to take share from uh, from their competitors. Uh, and then, lastly, you have this the whole kind of evolving uh, privacy landscape, which is going to make things much much more difficult for for marketers. Um, uh, as marketers, I should say, except Google and Facebook. 
uh, and some of the large walled gardens. Because when you think about things like the death of the cookie, we're not talking about the death of all cookies. We're talking about the death of the third party cookie. Um, and when you think about a walled garden and what it is, they don't have third party cookies. All their cookies are first party cookies. And so uh, the unintentional consequence of, of, the, of the privacy acts that have manifested themselves is they've actually strengthened the, the walled gardens to the detriment of the common brand and certainly to the detriment of the third party data providers that, that provided a lot of what the brands have um, used. So, so because um, not everyone who listens to this is actually a marketing person, I think everyone knows what a cookie is, but not everyone might have a pure understanding of how a cookie impacts marketing. Do you want to do 30 seconds on that, please? Yeah, really quickly, uh, cookies are, are ways that marketers can track um, consumer activity um, uh, online. And so um, a first-party cookie allows a, a, a marketer to track a consumer or a customer on their own website. Third-party cookies allow the, the marketer to track them across all websites. Um, and that's not, not only important for customer tracking, it's critical for things like ad, ad, advertising attribution. Where are those customers coming from? What sites are they coming from? Are, are they being driven by display advertising and things like that? So, Yeah, so therefore zero-party is what? So zero-party um, uh, is, is a... Zero party is, is a way for marketers to potentially work within this new construct. Um, uh, we, just as a really quick review, there's different types of data that the, the, a marketer can collect from a, from a customer. Third-party data is data provided from, by a third party that's aggregated uh, uh, anonymously about customers or consumers that, that um, a brand may access or purchase. First-party data is, is data that uh, a marketer will get directly from their customers, um, either um, knowingly or sometimes unknowingly. Zero-party data, which is a new term that was coined by Forrester Research, is, is data that is intentionally and proactively provided by the customer or the consumer to a brand for a specific set of usage. And, and in, in that sense, it is the ultimate form of in personal information because at the end of the day, the consumer is the, 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 the ultimate arbiter about what happens with their personal information. They can do whatever they want with it. I want to take a second to explain to you why Traub is able to bring you the safari. We pride ourselves in being at the very center of a very global, very complicated consumer and retail landscape. And in our travels, as we help think, manage, and expand businesses in many different channels and geographies, we're able to meet and learn from some of the great minds in this industry. And it's really wonderful to be able to bring them to you. And in doing so, I hope that you, the listener, will be able to learn a little bit more about what we do at Traub as well. Back to the safari. Well what, well, what a great way to go to what I'm dying to speak about, which is reach. Okay, so I'm going to spend just a second to set the table on this because for a long time, I have been uh, wondering, and, and indeed many people have posed to me, and indeed have so have all the, the conglomerates who are quite um, knowledgeable about how powerful it can be to, sh to share with intramurally uh, how their consumers 
uh, move between brands uh, and through their their business in different ways. And even they find it hard to really track and stay on top of them. And and, and it's their company and their brands. Um, but I always was wondering, uh, is there a world where indeed uh, it's not Google, Facebook, and Amazon, and others who are reaping the rewards uh, of all those marketing dollars, if one were to distribute it to the consumer, how, could there be a platform that would allow the consumer to be effectively empowered uh, to share their information uh, with a powerful and willing intermediary so that ultimately um, we are giving agency uh, to that to that uh, consumer. And then to coin a, a, a word that I learned on this podcast, actually, from my friend Michael Stone of, of the Beanstalk Group, um, allowing brands to entangle themselves more fulsomely with their consumers and to learn more about them uh, and, and allow the consumer a seat at that table. That's the, the, the question that I've often asked myself, if one can believe that, because I'm a dork on this stuff. I care about this stuff. Um, and so when you waltzed into my life and were telling me about Reach, I just I thought it was almost a marketer's nirvana. And um, so I'm really excited for you to spend a moment and go a little deeper um, into what Reach is, how it works, why it's great for marketers, and why it's great for consumers. Uh, most importantly, maybe. So uh, it, it's interesting when we were talking about reach, one of the things that we talked about is, is cooperation and how I, we're, we're looking at a, at, at, at an economy that's going to require cooperation on so many levels for, for us to move forward. Reach facilitates cooperation between consumers and brands by creating a value exchange in which both can win on a, on a consistent basis. Um, one of the things, Marty, that, that really drove me to, to in, envision a, a, the REACH concept and then, and then build it um, was the fact that consumer trust in brands has been in decline since the, about the year 2000. If you look at either the YNR, uh, Young Rubicon uh, brand asset valuator data or the Edelman trust barometer, um, and that's a problem because Sharing of data requires some level of trust, um, and and if it doesn't exist, it has to be motivated in some way so it can be restored and reestablished. Um, and that's what led to the creation of Reach. Reach um, is a marketplace that is uh, accessed through a mobile app, uh, targeting uh, millennials, older Gen Z, younger Gen X, but it, frankly, anybody who's who's frustrated with their loyalty program that uh, facilitates the opportunity for brands and consumers to connect where consumers or customers can share personal information, engage in value-added activity, and serve as advocates and influencers of that brand in exchange for not only tangible compensation, but special treatment um, and opportunities to enhance their own um, reputation on social media. Um, and that's one of the big differences is today's consumer won't settle for a single form of compensation. They, they, they are looking for ways to be recognized, to be sanctioned, as you said, to, to have agency uh, with brands. But when you think about the power that you can unleash by giving your, 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 your best customers, your customers license to advocate and build and act on your behalf, the, the ramifications of that could be game-changing. Yep. And so when you think about what you're saying, um, it, 
you know, the, the first instinct of a marketer of a, of, a, of a brand that has a loyalty program is, well, hold on, I have a loyalty program because I want them to come to me and I want them to be captive to me. Why on earth would I partner with another business uh, in order to commingle that uh, alliance, as it were, or, or those customers? So, you know, I've often said that the, the there's a fine line between competition and collaboration. In this case, you're saying, guys, you need to entangle with your customers. You need to provide a marketplace allowing for customers to find you in different ways. Um, so the collaborations that are, you know, in the world today, cooperation between brands even, you're seeing them everywhere. Most recently, I think the latest one is Gucci and the North Face, and there's hundreds of others, and Supreme has done partnerships with all kinds of people, and then you're seeing it across the, the brandscape, uh, the, the pantheon of brands. Um, how are you seeing collaboration, cooperation between brands, and how Reach facilitates that? So um, one of the interesting things about what Reach does is, um, uh, and I'll just share a quick story. You talk to most any brand, and I don't want to name brands in particular, but you talk to any brand about, uh, about how much they know about their customer. And we, we know a great deal about their, our customers. And then you say, okay, how much do you know about your customer when they're not doing business with you? Like how, how much do you know when they're not shopping for this? Or how much do you know when they're not traveling, as an example? And that's when you get the 100-mile the stare. Um, because brands don't know very much, if anything at all, about their customers when they're not shopping with them. The reality of it is, is, is that brand is sharing that exact customer with many other brands. And probably the best way to get customers like that customer is to cooperate with brands that have a high incidence of customers like them. And so that's one form of cooperation that we can facilitate because through the um, by 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 customers having a willingness to share their personal information with a brand, they're going to get a much richer profile of who that person is, what they're about, what other brands they buy, and what they do when they're not shopping. Um, that will allow brands to model that customer and find others like them uh, uh, on other brands on our platform or in the open marketplace. So so let's, let's talk about the platform. So how does, and let's talk, let's talk now, uh, as if to a layperson consumer, um, how are they engaging with your platform and how are they discovering all these programs and, and what is what are the steps and what is the what are the actions that that consumer will take um, to engage and to learn and to and to to earn even? So we uh, uh, we we're, we're starting our testing um, next week actually and we'll launch um, uh, late summer or early fall of this year. But when, when we do launch, um, you just have to go to the App Store or the Google Store, download the Reach app, and enroll and become a member. From there, um, you'll, you'll fill out a profile, and you'll engage with the brands on the platform based on your criteria. The one thing about Reach is it gives the consumer control. They decide who they want to engage, the brands they want to engage with, how they want to engage. So they're essentially controlling the terms of engagement. Um, however, the more deeply they engage, they engage and the more brands they engage with, the greater the benefit, tangibly and intangibly. And obviously, for the brand, it's it's almost the ideal ecosystem because it's not a walled garden. Uh, brands can take what they learn any to any other platform or medium, so they're becoming they can become smarter. And it's it's a guaranteed return on investment because brands aren't providing the compensation until the value has been delivered. Yep. And so in, in that way, it's, it's, a, it's a, almost a, a perfect system. 
especially since the, the compensation earned by the consumer, which can be used just like regular dollars within the ecosystem, gets reinvested back into the brands that comprise the system. So it's a, it's a closed loop system in that way, but it's not as limiting as a monolithic loyalty program, which only gives you a single brand. All right. So let's talk about, therefore, the customer journey five years from now, when you have all the, the, the most relevant uh, uh, groups involved uh, on the platform. Let's talk about hospitality company X, uh, airline company Y, and retail specialty store company uh, Z. Right. Um, let's say, uh, Morty Singer, I'm showing up on the Reach app and try and describe the 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 the, the way I will uh, act and 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 be able to flow through the different brands with different services on there and how I'm actually being empowered. So again, you would you would join. You would say, I want to engage with hotel company at, at, uh, X. Um, airline Y and and retailer Z, and so you you add them to what we call your brand circle, um, and and you decide how you how what you want to share with them, how you want to engage with them, and then you just start. They will send you personalized opportunities um, that you can choose, uh, and it's 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 a wonderful process because, for example, if you decide to turn on location. Um, we can send an alert when you're in the proximity of a retailer, for example, or a hotel company, um, so they know that you're either about to arrive or that you're in the vicinity, and they should send you an opportunity to get make sure that you stop into the to that retail store. For brands, it's all about how creative they can get um, in engaging the customer, but not necessarily using discounts. It's about getting customers to learn more about the brand to be more active in their support of the brand, to write reviews, to refer friends and family, uh, to try facets of the brand or products that they may not have tried before, um, all, all, in, all in, a, in an environment that promotes kind of a, uh, that kind of mutual benefit, but that connects the consumer not only to the brand, but other consumers like them that share the same interest or the, simply share a, the patronage of, that, same, of that, that brand. So specialty retailer Z and Hotel A um, could actually, through you, uh, be able to glean or mine uh, certain customers or lookalike customers and actually do a partnership. I talked about you know, Gucci North Face as a, a collab, but presumably where there, are, where there is overlap on the Venn diagram, you will be able to do special partnerships for um, for members of, of each of those different uh, companies and, and for those companies to, to together reach out or engage further with uh, the customers that they, that they care for. Absolutely. You think about the partnerships that exist today, Morty. Um, Lyft, for example, has a partnership with Grubhub um, or Hilton has a partnership with Lyft. The people that know about the partnership take advantage of it. But many people that are customers of both don't know about the partnership. And so they're not taking advantage of that opportunity. Um, and for the brands involved, they don't get that second kind of contact with the consumer, which is going to create a stronger bond to begin with. If you have five brands and, and those brands have are all inter, um, interrelated or, or, or in some kind of partnership, their ability to collectively hold on to a customer is significantly stronger than any one of their individual abilities to hang on to that customer. And, and that's you know, one of the things you, we, we talked about, and I'd be curious to get a little more of insight from you from, from your work is that's the kind of cooperation that I think will, 
will represent the next step beyond Gucci and 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 North Face and and Ulta and and Target because those are physical partnerships. The strategic partnerships are what come next. Absolutely. What do what are you seeing in that area? Because that's obviously of great importance to us. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about collaborations uh, of any nature, but but I think some people have scratched their heads, for example, on that get Gucci North Face thing. And what I think is wonderful about it is they don't take it from the vantage point or think about it from the vantage point of either brand. If you're Gucci, um, you've suddenly acquired a young customer who's a who potentially is an outdoors person, and, and that person feels at some stage in their life, maybe they're a young, uh, young upwardly mobile individual who is a, more of an outdoors person today, but they've they felt like just because of that collaboration, because they wear North Face for just for a minute, even if they didn't buy something from the collaboration, that that they for that that Gucci rubbed off on their favorite brand, the North Face, and one day talking about lifetime value, they may become a Gucci customer too when they get older, when they have more uh, disposable income. Conversely, the North Face, um, sorry, the, uh, the yes, the North Face, sorry, I did the North Face, the, the, the Gucci customer who um, has an aspirational view of the world and is interested in the, uh, the way in which uh, uh, the outdoorsman lifestyle is can really feel that Gucci has aligned themselves with a brand that is about the outdoors, about nature, and about um, health and wellness because that's really where some of these outdoors companies have gone. So ultimately, the brand codes of the North Face suddenly cling to Gucci for the the period of the collaboration, but I would argue beyond as well the collaboration. So that ultimately, if a Gucci person does end up wanting to buy a technical uh, jacket for going to mountain climbing or going on a vacation to a glacier. Hey, well, you know what? Maybe they will buy in the future the North Face versus another brand. So for me, that the alliances that can be caused uh, online or on a platform or on a marketplace, um, I think uh, really work the same way. And I, th- I, I really believe that um, the constellation of brands that mean something to Morty Singer or means something to you or to anybody um, is is what's most important. It's it's important to try and find that quilt patchwork uh, of brands and to mine that patchwork uh, and customize it and and personalize it to the individual, which hasn't been done very well uh, at all uh, here for two. And so um, I think what you're doing is remarkable. And you know I got to tell you, um, you said earlier that creating a stronger bond, creating a stronger bond between consumers. And brands is really, I think, one of the holy grails uh, in the industry. Uh, there are there are a few, uh, but indeed, you are uh, really building something wonderful. And so, just before we 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 wrap up here um, in thirty seconds, uh, tell me what you're excited for, where you see this thing going, um, and let us let us dream a little bit with you uh, on the future of Reach. I think um, I think Reach is a platform that can align the interests of consumers and brands in in such a way where the future becomes limitless. Um, imagine harnessing the the creative and economic power of your customers in a way where they're all pulling with you instead of against you or in all opposite directions. Imagine a situation where where brands now see the 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 benefit the the, the entanglement as as you call it. And now consumers are playing a role or customers are playing a role in, 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 in servicing other customers, yep. in customer service. There, there are c- customers out there 
in forums that are doing this today on an unsanctioned basis that some brands will tell you no more than any employee of the company. And so imagine harnessing that power in a way that is always balanced, where equilibrium of benefit, of value um, is guaranteed to be exchanged, and where reach provides the oversight to ensure nobody oversteps their bounds and gets into a, a situation that throws the entire system out of equilibrium. I think that's that's very possible. And frankly, or I think it's very necessary because to truly understand a customer today, you've got to engage with them and learn more about them. And one interesting thing that, that kind of was the final catalyst that drove us to, to, to creating Reach was the, the research that's come out. It's, it's been around for a couple of years now, but, but it, it's been publicized more recently that consumers are right at that point where they're starting to experience serious tech fatigue and they don't want to reach out to a brand and get an automated attendant. What they want is human contact more than anything else. And, you know, when you think about back in the day, there was this, uh, the CEO of Scandinavian Air Service, uh, Jan Carlson, created this concept of moments of truth be, um, that brands have across the consumer, a customer experience to make a customer for life. And we've become so automated and technology has become so pervasive that's created a, a, a chasm between the, the brand and the customer. And I think, I think Reach can help close that chasm, restore the personal side of personalization, and, and get, create that level of mutual understanding where consumers bet, or customers better understand the needs and, and, and why brands do things, and brands in turn um, uh, can entangle consumers in a way that makes them far more efficient, effective, and productive than they are today. So closing the chasm between the brand and the consumer by effectively helping make in so doing, making the consumer into an evangelist. So I think that is uh, as, as, as good a place as any to stop our conversation. As I told you before, I think we could have talked about this for two hours, but uh, we will spare the listener too much of this uh, because it's really been quite wonderful and we, you really nailed it. And I, I, I really wish you the best of luck with everything you're doing. Um, Mike Ribeiro, CEO of Reach. You can find him on joinreach.com. Thanks for doing the safari with me. Thanks, Morty. If you want to learn a little bit more about Traub, you can go to traub.io, where you'll learn a lot about everything that we do. If you're enjoying the safari, please do share it with your friends and colleagues within the industry. And please also don't forget to subscribe and like it. Until next time.